welcome to another episode of Random Fit. I am Wendy Batts, and I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Ken Miller. Ken, how are you today? Good, Wendy. How are you? Oh, just living a dream. It's no place I'd rather be. <laughs> <laughs> so I am super excited about today's podcast, and we are going to have my friend, my fellow colleague, and an amazing head athletic trainer joining us today. His name is Mr. John Fierro, and John has served as the head athletic trainer in Major League Baseball for over 20 years. Um, he's worked with the Philadelphia Phillies. He's worked with the Chicago Cubs. He was the head ATC for the National League All-Star Team. He's worked with the Phoenix Coyotes. He was part of the Wayne Gretzky Fantasy Camps, and he's been the head athletic trainer for baseball for the Olympics, not only this year, but also for Sydney and Beijing. And this man also owns his own business and is based out of Arizona. So I am super, super excited to introduce John Piero and bring him aboard. Hey, John. Hi. Hi, hey, John. <laughs> Thanks for see being you. here. You too. You're, you're welcome. No, anytime. Uh, well, we are diving right in. So I'm going to have yeah. Ken. Ken's got a whole list of questions for you as well. Uh. So we'll, <laughs> we'll try not to, to bog you down too much. Yeah, we absolutely. Have, yeah, we might have to convert this to a two-hour podcast. <laughs> but, uh, you know, after after talking to Wendy, John, about all that you've done and the different arenas that you've done, it not just physical arenas, but between baseball and, and we're, we're, we're going to talk about a little bit of hockey. But, um, you know, You've been around for for a while, and I'll let you give you know reference some years as far as when you got into it. But um, what did it take for you to get into the position that you're in, as far as being the head athletic trainer for a major league baseball team? I mean, that's I mean, there's a lot of teams, a lot of players over the years, but to get through the different levels and at the professional, especially major league baseball. What, what was it that you had to do or had to be done for, for you to get into a position like that? Uh, simply put, and you'll hear it from just about anybody that gets into that, that position, it's hard work, really, is what it comes down to. Uh, when I started out, I started out in low, low minors, A-ball, um, actually rookie league, which is as far down as you can go. It's the entry level. Um, you're, you're sitting in a, in a stadium that might be 75, 80 years old. You've got a training room that's the size of a closet. Um, uh, my first uh, hydroculator back in that day was uh, a, a spaghetti pot and a strainer. Um, so it's adaptability. And then uh, I'll go as far as to say I was, I was still in college. So obviously my skills were still being uh, formed at that particular time. Uh, so mostly what I had to rely on is try to outwork everybody. So uh, that's the approach I took. And then I did that for two years and then um, graduated from college. Phillies were kind enough to hire me right out of college. Um, so I started with them right away. Interestingly enough, uh, it wasn't my chosen career path. Uh, my chosen career path was radio and television broadcasting. So uh, the sports medicine part came about, uh, frankly, as a means to help pay for college. Uh, so uh, first school I was at in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, I, I got my school paid for by way of work study. 
and then transferred to Virginia Tech and right place, right time. They were in dire need of student athletic trainers. So I ended up getting a full uh, scholarship to be a student athletic trainer. So from there, that's how I got into pro ball. I was recommended to the Phillies by a person down there, Tommy Bell, and uh, worked my way up through. It's not an easy climb. Um, a lot of ups and downs. I did two years in Venezuela, uh, winter ball, which is very hard. And then uh, got a break in 1980 uh, when they needed uh, somebody from the minor league side to help them cover on the major league side in spring training. And then ultimately uh, in September when I went out, did that for two years. And then uh, 1983 finally got the call to go up as assistant trainer um, uh, permanently. Uh, but there was a lot, a lot of miles, uh, yeah. minor leagues, you're doing the laundry, you're doing the travel, you're doing just about everything. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty huge sacrifice. And basically it tells you whether or not this is what you want to do. Now, one of my follow-up questions was if, if you always knew if this is what you want to do, but since you brought up broadcasting, <laughs> is that still something that you've got your eye on or does that interest you at all? I mean, that, since you were talking about 70s and the 80s getting to start, you've been around for a while, but is that something that you've kind of said, well, if the opportunity comes up, I might just grab it? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> that train that train took off from the station uh, quite a few years ago. Uh, and, and frankly, um, the Olympics, this Olympics was my last official function as an athletic trainer. Oh. Um, I am retiring fully from athletic physical therapy in October and, uh, there will be nothing else, no more chapters to be written. Oh, there's always chapters, John. I know no, you no, better than no. that. No. <laughs> The, those cha those chapters will be pure family and travel. Uh, those are the best chapters to have. So. Absolutely. So, John, when you say that you you know you get this job, you kind of someone someone you knew got you into the Phillies, and you worked your way up. How do you go from working as the you know the assistant into the head position for the the Chicago Cubs? I mean, especially during that time, you had people like Pete Rose and all these unbelievable players. They were all over the the news. Um, so how do you get, how do you get that position? Like how did that transition happen? <laughs> Interestingly enough. Okay. To set up a little bit of history. When I came up to Phillies, uh, a man named Dallas green was the manager there and was running the show. He was actually the guy that hired me for the minor leagues as a, as a farm director. Well, he moved on to Chicago in 1981. Uh, as president and general manager. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't have it in my mind that, you know, someday we may follow him. There was a whole lot of Philly people that did follow him, but I had finally gotten to the big leagues with Philadelphia and thought, frankly, I was going to be there to stay. The head athletic trainer at the time thought differently. Uh, and, Basically, and I'm only telling the story just so people understand, uh, don't give up when that first door closes. Head, head athletic trainer sent me down and said, uh, you need to find 
some somebody else that or something else to do because you're not a very good athletic trainer and you will never be a head athletic trainer in the major leagues so i just looked at him i said you know that's your opinion uh put a call i didn't put a call into the cubs cubs found out what happened they called me and basically dallas said i don't have a position in the major leagues for you what i can do is keep you in baseball uh, so i'm going to put you down in peoria which is a ball again and we'll see what happens from there so i took it it was an opportunity to stay in baseball and then at the end of the, that year Cubs let their head athletic trainer go. Uh, it came down to a competition between myself and the AAA trainer. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. So it wasn't, again, that part of it wasn't an easy climb. Uh, uh, took a step back just to make my way forward. Uh, did I feel like I deserved it at the time? Uh, I was pretty confident, yes, that I can handle the job. Awesome. Well, for those of you guys that are joining us, we are here with um, our friend and colleague, or I guess ex-colleague now, but uh, <laughs> definitely still a friend, Mr. Well, John Pierre. Yes. <laughs> um, and we're talking about what it's like to be in pro sports. You know, we hear this question all the time, like, I want to work in pro sports, but it's not as easy as you think. And so we're talking with John about his path and all that he has accomplished and then what it took to get there. And so I'm going to follow up with one other question, John, and it's basically, you know, we, we've talked about the 80s. Now we're back into the 90s. So let's say early 90s, you know, you were the head athletic trainer for the National League All-Star team. And so how do you go from now you're the, the head athletic trainer for the Cubs? You get this amazing opportunity. Like, do they do you get voted in? Do you say, hey, I want to do this? And they're like, we pick you. I mean, there's got to be I mean, that's a pretty big honor. And so can you kind of tell us how that happens? I wish all that you said um, happened that way. <laughs> and and I, was, I was hugely honored to be selected. But Wendy, basically what it came down to is in 1990, Wrigley Field hosted the 1990 All-Star Team. All-Star oh. Game. So um, – I was there. I'm there. Actually, it was about my turn to be uh, uh, the trainer for the all-star team. There's a rotation system that goes through with uh, major league athletic trainers. So I was coming up anyway, but um, National League reached out Bill White and said, you know, we'd like you to be the host and we'd like you to take uh, charge of the whole medical situation while we're there. So I won't say I fell into it, but I was in, the, again, a good position to be there and do it. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I still treated it as a huge honor. Um, the, 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 week, the weekend and the, 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 the actual game and the activities and everything uh, were just fabulous, other than the rain that, uh, that pretty much washed the game out. But uh, it allowed me the opportunity to meet some really great people. And uh, ironically, one of the players on that 90 All-Star team um, was my manager for the last month in Japan, Mike Sosha. 
So they kind of rekindled. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember you. You're, you're the guy that uh, worked on Dawson for an hour and a half before the game. <laughs> uh, that kind of thing. So it, it was it was cool just to go back and reminisce with him. Um, made a lot of good friends from that team. Uh, you know, Daryl Strawberry and, and some of the guys that are on other teams, Will Clark, you know. Everybody, nobody liked Will Clark at the time. Thought he was a different kind of person. And just having that opportunity to be with them those three days gave me an entirely new perspective, and we became friends. Uh, so uh, I was lucky that that all, all uh, developed during that thing. And probably the biggest moments in one of my memories, biggest memories at the time, was I got the opportunity for uh, to meet Joe DiMaggio who as a kid in Jersey, uh, obviously, uh, was, was everybody's idol. Uh, turned out he uh, spent almost two hours in the training room with me, uh, just talking just to stay away from the crowd. So uh, that was a moment that I always cherish. You know, he's kind of a big deal. <laughs> I even picked up the phone and called my father. And he said, <laughs> This is, you're not going to believe this. You know what? <laughs> well, I have one other question to piggyback off of that, Ken, because I don't want to take all your questions away from you. But, you know, when you're talking about, you know, I fell into these positions or, you know, I got this call, um, you know, basically you've been doing this for, for a while and you've got to meet some incredible people. But, you know, when you think about what people have to do today in order to be able to get into a major league position or to meet some of these unbelievable people and, and maybe travel on them or work with them or do the things that, that you've been able to do. What's the biggest difference that you see today in comparison to when you were, you know, up and coming? Um, I think the expectations are different. Obviously the technology is different. Uh, you know, being a head trainer nowadays, from what I can tell, and and most recently in my time with the Coyotes and trying to help uh, Jason Service there as a head trainer, uh, you are, you are much more inundated with paperwork and administrative work uh, than we were back in our day. Um, it's it's the information highway. Um, only the, the, the exits have doubled. So the information that you're getting out to the different people has doubled since I was there. It used to be, you know, all I need to let people know or uh, let anybody know about anything was the manager and the general manager. And, and uh, you know, the Dallas, Dallas and then Jim Fry did have me talk to the press after games and everything. Um, but, between you and I, I wouldn't tell them anything anyway. But uh, uh, it's that, to me, that's the biggest difference right now is that, uh, I feel for the head athletic trainers that um, most of their time is bogged down with admin work. And you don't get time to practice your craft. The only time you get to do that is in the off season. And to me, that would drive me crazy. I mean, I, I I've got to be in it. I've got to be in the training room. I've got to have my hands on people and, and make people better. And uh, I think that's the biggest difference nowadays. 
right? And you know, a lot, a lot has changed, and and I can see where you know someone with your background and your skill sets, you know, a, a lot of organizations, I'm sure, just happy and and lucky to have you on board, and not just with baseball, but again, looking at your background, not only do you have those. Those, I'm sure those are sign balls that are behind you, but I also noticed some hockey uh, memorabilia on your walls as well. And you mentioned the Coyotes, um, and we can't mention Coyotes and hockey without talking about Wayne Gretzky. And I know that he's he's um, you know a friend of yours, and and you know have you you mentioned some big names in in baseball with Daryl Strawberry, Mike Sosha, and you know. Your, your background definitely is one where relationships are important. And, and from what I understand, you, you've got oh, a pretty important one with, with Mr. Gretzky. And, you know, with all that, you've, you've got that strong hockey background and you've got experience with the European hockey tour as well. So would you mind talking about that a little bit as far as, as your experience with hockey and, and at that level and with your experience with the European tour? Uh, <laughs> a big like, question, I know. Yeah, kind of like the broadcasting thing. It wasn't something that I, <laughs> I, I mean, the baseball thing. I wasn't something that I said, yeah, I want to get in to do this. Um, it happened accidentally on purpose. Um, <laughs> I was with the Phillies in 1983. Edmonton Oilers were, or 84. Edmonton Oilers were in Philadelphia playing the uh, Flyers in the Stanley Cup. I had never seen a hockey game in my life. It just wasn't <laughs> something that I had really gotten into. And I got a phone call from the head trainer for the Oilers saying, hey, we've got an off day. A lot of the guys like to come over and catch a game. I said, sure. How many guys you got? And yada, yada. Set them up with a suite. Uh, for our game the next night. Um, and right after the game, got another phone call from Peter Miller, the head trainer, said, uh, hey, I really don't want to throw this on you, but a lot of the guys want to come downstairs. And I got one guy in particular that really wants to meet Mike Schmidt. I said, hey, that's no problem. Come on down. I'll set things up. Who's the guy? Uh, so I can let Smitty know and we'll put him in a position. So I go in the training room and Mike's there on the table. I had been working on him. I said, hey, uh, Smitty, Edmonton Oilers are here tonight and they want to come down. And there's a guy that really wants to meet you. Uh, he's a big fan, yada, yada. And he looks up and he goes, who, Wayne Gretzky? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, yeah. And I, frankly, I was just totally stupid. <laughs> the name didn't really smack me in the face like it did to him. <laughs> so at any rate, set up the meeting. Um, Wayne was very gracious, invites me the next day to go to their morning skate and to the game. I said, why not? And long story short, um, became a friend that day. And once you're a friend with Wayne, you really got screwed up to fall out of that circle. Uh, so we've been friends ever since. The trip that you're talking about to Europe was 1994. They were on, uh, players were on strike, 
or lock out one of the two. And Wayne and his agent organized a trip to Europe, and they couldn't take the NHL trainers, obviously. So lo and behold, he picks up the phone and calls me. Uh, this was the Monday before Thanksgiving in 94. And says, hey, I'm putting together a trip. A bunch of the guys, most of them you know, we're going to go tour Europe uh, for about two weeks. And I'd love for you to be the trainer. And I'm like, whenever Wayne Gretzky calls, <laughs> you just don't say no. So I said, sure, Wayne, you know, uh, where do you need me and when do you need me there? And he said, well, it's the, kind of the tricky part. Um, I'm going to need you in Detroit on Friday. And, you know, I didn't have any medical equipment or anything set up for it. So I had like three and a half days before Thanksgiving to set up for a two week trip to Europe and Thankfully, I was able to get to Chicago and get some of the stuff and take it to Detroit. But uh, we spent, well, we end, ended up, we went Norway, uh, excuse me, Norway, Sweden, Copenhagen. Um, yeah, all the, all the Scandinavian countries and then ended up with an extra game in Germany. And what I tell people about that particular trip, because I never knew how hard these guys really went at things, um, they tell me I had a good time. Because <laughs> there's, there's a whole lot of memory that was whitewashed from that trip. <laughs> but then again, we became very good friends, obviously, and we got closer on that trip. And then a number of years later, obviously, he came to the Coyotes. We were, you know, we were close again there. And then he started his fantasy camps, uh, I guess it's 17, 18 years ago now. Asked me to do that. Obviously, you don't say no. So <laughs> ended up doing, uh, I ended up doing that for 15 years. That's awesome. Wow. Well, the, those of you guys that are joining us, we're talking about being inside the athletic training world in professional sports. And we're here with, uh, obviously, Ken Miller, my co-host, and our special guest, John Piero. And, John, I guess the, one question that I have is, you know, are these just basic calls? Was it hard to balance doing stuff for Wayne or just hockey in general at, at that level as well as, you know, being a head athletic trainer in baseball? Or was it you were kind of converting out of baseball into hockey or did you do both? Well, uh, no, I didn't. Well, I did both at that particular time. Um, little did I know in 94, I would only have two years left in baseball. So, uh, you know, Wayne had mentioned to me once, uh, Hey, I'm going to own a hockey team. And when I do, I want you to be my guy. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whatever. Uh, give me a call. Uh, but that's the only thought of hockey that I ever had. Um, obviously fell in love with the sport. Um, once you watch it live and you get inside on that situation, you, you do fall in love with it. But it was never something in the future. Well, uh, again, lesson for athletic trainers and what it means to be a pro, a major league athletic trainer. You're hired to be fired. I was let go um, in 1996 
again, general manager sits across the table and says, I think you lost your edge. I think you're done in sports. And um, I, again, I took that as a challenge. Um, three years later, I'm standing next to the podium, the medal stand in Sydney. So um, at any rate, I never thought of hockey at that point. Um, the, the hockey thing came about, uh, I think it was 03 or whatever. Gord Hart was the head athletic trainer and he was studying to be a PA. He had to do a rotation. So he called me and asked if I would mind filling in for the, for him, for his rookie camp. Uh, I did that. Uh, so happened Mike Barnett was the GM at the time. And maybe basically went to Gordon and said, you know, you're the only person down there. You need some help. Why don't you bring John on? So I ended up being part-time athletic trainer with the Coyotes then. And then Gord left. My role increased throughout the years up until 2015. Wow. <laughs> now, you mentioned standing next to the podium. Now, you've been, as Wendy mentioned before, Sydney, Beijing, and just recently Tokyo, and, and I know in the uh, before we were logging in, you're you're still getting over the uh, the jet lag. So again, yeah. double thank you for <laughs> for um, um, for being here with us today. But you know, to be a part of three different Olympics, you know what you know what does it take for for someone to be in that position? Because I mean, just to get, make it to one Olympics is is something, but you've done it three times. How, how does how does how does that happen? How, how, I mean, I, I understand how you made it happen so far in your career, but to do that three times. Uh, once again, it's basically <laughs> do it right the first time and then don't screw up. Um, the, 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 the process was um, back when they went to with professionals for the Olympics, once the Olympics was uh, in in. 2001 Sydney was allowed to have baseball. The process actually started in 1999 and um, it started with the Pan Am Games uh, in Winnipeg, Canada. And um, Major League Baseball was involved. So they wanted an all professional staff or people with Major League experience um, on the staff to make the thing work. So uh, from what I was told, it started out with 50 uh, ex major league trainers down to 20, down to 15 to 10, and then five. And thankfully, uh, I, was, I was appointed uh, for the USA team. Uh, from there, it was earn your way on. There was no guarantees for the Olympics. Uh, they uh, they were new to me. I was new to them. Uh, Sandy Alderson was the GM, um, and and basically it was an audition uh, in Winnipeg. Uh, obviously, I passed the audition. I got invited back to uh, Team USA for Sydney in 2000. Um, obviously, we won the gold there. Uh, so that translated into success. From there, um, I did two other events for USA leading up to 2003, the qualifier for Athens. 
um, which we lost down in uh, Panama, which was one of my most disappointing moments. Uh, so we were out of the 04 Olympics, didn't qualify. I did probably four or five international events with USA. In the meantime, being uh, World Cups and that type of thing. Olympics came back around in 08. Uh, we had two qualifiers in 06 and 07. Uh, they asked me to work those, so obviously I didn't screw things up. <laughs> And uh, got invited for 08, um, never thinking that there would be one more. Uh, obviously, you're, you're thrilled to do the one and then the two. Um, but then we had uh, 17 and 19. We had had uh, the Premier 12, which were semi-qualifiers for the Tokyo Olympics. And I got through them and was able to do it by this time the physical toll was starting to show i was starting to feel it and harder to recover especially internationally uh, but they did invite me to go back to tokyo so i said okay um, I, I appreciate that i'm honored uh, this will be my last one now but between the three different olympics and um you know again spanning 12 years, what, what's one of the bigger differences that you've noticed from one Olympic to the next? Um, obviously, the evolution of it uh, is security. Mm -hmm. um, back in 2000, you know, this was pre-9-11. Um, we were in Sydney and we had a meeting with the FBI and the FBI uh, sat us down and said, uh, this is now becoming an inter international situation where uh, we are concerned about security. Um, there's a group out there called Al-Qaeda run by some guy named Osama bin Laden that has targeted uh, three teams uh, at this Olympics, and one's the dream team, number two is the baseball team, and number three is the softball team. So... Um, things started to tighten up from there. And consequently, each one of the Olympics leading up to Tokyo, you can just see and feel the increased security. That was a big difference. Um, obviously, the biggest difference with Tokyo most recently uh, was that we were in a bubble. Uh, with the COVID situation, uh, we were not allowed to leave. Uh, if we did leave, we uh, had we couldn't get back in. It, it was a 10-day quarantine automatically if they caught you leaving. Uh, so the freedom to go to other venues and see the, the other parts of the Olympics was taken away. And, and that was a huge difference because the other two, we were, we were able to do that. We were able to go to swimming and track and field and everything. And that was hard. Um, uh, and, and obviously, uh, you know, just seeing the different cities and everything is, is quite unique and quite different. Awesome. Well, so did, I guess I'm going to piggyback off of, of what Ken was just saying, but you know, if, if you, 
we're talking about your Olympic experience and everything, and you got to go and see other sports. Did you guys go as a team? Did you just individualize and say, I'm going to go and watch the divers and somebody else go and watch, you know, some other sport or was it, I mean, did you have other people to hang out with or was it kind of you doing your thing and then the team doing their thing? No, usually, usually the coaches kind of hung together. Um, the ones that lived in the village, we had access to tickets every day over at the USOC headquarters there. Uh, and, and the players, you know, they did what they wanted to do. Um, but usually it was myself and another coach or something. We'd go over and check the board and see what was available, what uh, they had tickets for, because obviously they, there weren't tickets available for everything back then. The dream team was the dream team, and everybody wanted tickets to the basketball. Um, so, you know, you got, you had to pick and choose which you could go to, and then you had to factor in your schedule because we played almost every day, uh, as to whether or not you can pull it off. But yeah, I'd say a lot of the players would hang together and go to an event and coaches, there'd be a few players, you know, with us. Uh, there was one thing that we did in Beijing all together, the entire team and, uh, we went to the Great Wall and, uh, you know, got a, a lot of cool team pictures and everything with that. But uh, usually when you're inside the village there, you're just kind of doing your thing. Yeah. And you don't receive medals, right, John? The, the we do not. We I think that's not. such a bummer because you win the World Series, you get a ring, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, uh, you can sit here and beat your head over it or whatever, but <laughs> the fact of the matter is it's it's been that way for 800 years or however long the olympics have been really going on and frankly who am i to to bitch and change it <laughs> you know? uh, I, I you know uh, we did get a replica medal in beijing and that was done by usa baseball so it was kind of a gift to us don't know what's going to happen here we do get rings uh so every olympian gets a ring uh so i've got that to look back at and you know uh, a medal doesn't replace what what you take home from the experience yes i uh, can't even imagine but uh you know john you, you're very humble just so you know and you're just like oh i just randomly got a call or oh i just knew this person and I've known you for many years and know that it's a lot more. And you were absolutely amazing at what you do. And with that being said, I'm not the only one that feels that way because there's been multiple people that have thanked you throughout their career. You know, those there's two that come to mind. There's Ryan Sandberg and there's Andrew Dawson in their Hall of Fame speeches. And um, mm -hmm. if you guys want to listen to them, you can easily find them on YouTube because it's amazing. But you know, with you being able to hear this, being on the other end, and you hear your name in these speeches, I mean, that had to make you feel absolutely incredible. So did, did you know it was coming? Or how did you find out that you were mentioned? And then right. you know, what, what do you call them and say, hey, thanks, or? <laughs> uh, actually, I was more honored and privileged to get the invite to be there. Um, I, I thought that was just neat as puppy poop that <laughs> I would get a phone call from Ryan and I got a phone call from Andre saying, I'd like you to be my guest at my induction. Uh, so that in itself was um, 
you know, it, it just made me feel good uh, to sit there in the audience and listen to the speech and then all of a sudden hear your name. Uh, first of all, it was a complete shock. I had no idea. Um, and the other cool thing is I have my son with me. And uh, when, especially when Andre mentioned my name, uh, he was old enough to kind of grasp it. He was thinking about an athletic training career himself. And I turned to him and he looked at me and said, way to go, Pops. And you can't, you can't put a measure on that kind of moment. Um, the first time when Rhino did it, uh, I went backstage afterwards and I, I looked at him, I walked up to him, shook my head and he looked at me and said, gotcha, didn't I? <laughs> and, you know, the history with Ryan and I, we, we were together when I mentioned rookie ball, uh, we were together in rookie ball with the Phillies. So, you know, I had Ryan, Ryan, probably 85% of his career. So we had a bond there. And, you know, for him to do that was, uh, I guess you would call it, same thing with Andre, uh, a validation of the work that you put in, not just for me, but for the profession. You know, anytime that happens when one of us gets publicly acknowledged, it's just a boost to the profession. Amazing. Well, I, I have one other question because I know Ken's probably going to, you know, ask another one and then we'll, we'll let you go because, again, <laughs> we can probably talk to you all day. But, John, you know, we've been talking a lot about athletic training and, you know, we have people that obviously, you know, are part of NASM that understands kind of the profession of athletic training. And I mean, obviously, it's way different than personal training. Um, there's different schooling involved. There's different um, tests that you have to take in order to get your uh, ability to touch if you will, but can you just briefly explain what is an athletic trainer and, you know, what do you have to do to become an athletic trainer? Well, I mean, nowadays you almost have to go through a curriculum at a designated school. Um, I'm not going to name them off because uh, I'm not going <laughs> to do that free credit, but, um, and, and that was always a sticking point for, for me because I felt like it limited people trying to get into the profession. Uh, as I went to a school that wasn't quote, a officially recognized uh, training ground for athletic trainers. So, uh, you know, back in my day, we can circumvent that a little bit. And, and the, the bottom line is you pass your national certification test, just like the any, SM and, uh, and any other organization, uh, which I did. Um, nowadays, it's curriculum. Um, most of them require a master's, which again, I, you know, I'm sounding old school. You know, what, if you're good, you're good. If you know it, you know it. And having an extra set of letters after your name to me, you know, it, it's nice on paper, but I've seen a lot of people with those extra numbers on there that don't translate it into the field. Um, so uh, that's the route I would take nowadays. 
Um, I would recommend the PES, CES, uh, and, and those things. Again, not for the initials on the end of your name on a resume, but to the actual learning experience. Uh, I know back in our day, Wendy, when we were doing our thing at, uh, at Physio with Mike Clark and Alan Russell and, and Tyler and everybody, um, my experiences coincided with their experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think together we had a pretty good product and I had a pretty good thing going on there. So uh, the parallels, I think everything is, is very similar. I, I think you need to have a strong understanding of how the body works as an athlete. Um, because you're not going to be able to fake that, you know. Um, <laughs> you, you might be able to fake some other things and, and talk your way out of other things that you really don't know about. But if you don't understand how the, the athlete functionally moves, in order to be able to treat them and or prevent injuries, then you're going to be exposed really quickly. So I, I think that's the major emphasis nowadays. Uh, my son, as I mentioned, my son's in it. Um, he's AAA trainer for the uh, Angels in Salt Lake. And I see the evolution. I've been blessed to see the evolution over the last 10 years just through him. And the things that he's had to continue to do educationally to make sure that he has all the tools that he needs once the uh, once the season starts, once he goes through the off season. Yeah. Well, your son's very lucky because I will tell everyone that John Fierro was very instrumental in my career coming out of school, having no idea what I was doing. I was paired with, with John as well as Dr. Clark, and um, they led me into the path of what I wanted to do, and I just needed to become smarter and better. I took a lot of time, and having unbelievable mentors really, I mean, I cannot thank you guys enough because, like I said, I feel very confident what I do, but if I wouldn't have had you guys in my life coming out of school, I don't know where I'd be. So I appreciate you very much, John. Well, you you bring in the other half of, of what I've mentioned throughout this whole thing is uh, you had the opportunity. You you were given an opportunity and you've worked you've worked your way into where you are right now. So don't sell yourself short on that. because <laughs> I, I personally know how much work it's taken to uh, to make you who you are today. Oh. Oh, our moment. <laughs> <laughs> and it was recorded yeah. here, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let me let me ask you uh, one one more question, John. Um, you know, we talked about you know you're 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 going to be done in October, as you mentioned, and we kind of jokingly said about uh, you know with what you've done over hockey and, and baseball, you know, you were, you were closing that chapter of your book. Now I'm wondering, is there any, is there any chance to have a literal, literally having a chapter written in a book written by you? Cause I could sit here and listen to these stories uh, for hours on end. Is there, is there any hope or possibility that we might see that from you? Uh, I've been asked that a number of different <laughs> times. Um, 
The problem, I think, for the most part uh, is that it would be predominantly R-rated. So <laughs> um, it, it kind of makes it a little difficult. And then, you know, uh, when he mentioned it, I've got a certain level of humility uh, that, that I believe that all this for me has been a gift. And uh, I'm thankful for that gift. Uh, to the man above, and uh, I don't know. I, I I suppose someday I should jot down some of the stories. A lot of them I've forgotten, um, but I I wouldn't be looking for any hardback copy uh, along the way. Because <laughs> I'll tell you right now, John. Since since I've been listening to you during this recording, I've I've written down some. If you don't mind me saying, John Fieroisms. I don't know if yeah. that's ever been presented yeah. to you. But I yeah. have here, do it right the first time. Uh, you don't say no to Wayne uh, <laughs> accidentally on purpose. Yeah. Uh, need his puppy poop. That actually yeah. has an underline. Um, um, if you're good, you're good. If you know it, you know it. So if you wrote chapters just based on those titles alone, <laughs> I, I would I would buy 12 copies yeah. and, and hand them out. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of, uh, you don't see many, many books out there from athletic trainers and it's right probably uh for the same reason that we do what we do we're always in the background and uh for the most part mostly all of us don't like to put ourselves in the foreground so i, I think that's part of the big reason but uh come out and sit around the campfire and uh I can give you two two hours worth of stories at least. So next time Wendy and I are in town, we will yeah. definitely be giving give you a call. You a call for sure. yeah. <laughs> so I just want to say, um, John, this has been an honor and a pleasure, and thank you so much for the stories you've had to share and your insights on your career. And uh, I couldn't think of a better way to spend this 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 time as far as getting to know you and, and what you've done and to influence not just one sport, but two from an athletic training standpoint. So um, for everybody that's uh, been sitting with us, we had the pleasure of having Mr. John Fierro, head athletic trainer in both hockey and major league baseball. So if you liked what you heard and want to hear more, please like, follow, subscribe and comment. And until next time, you know, we look forward to uh, seeing what we can do to give you topics that you will love and enjoy, just like this interview here with John. So thank you again, John. And until thank next you. time, everybody, take care and be well.